This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So as we talk about Christmas time and we tell the story of Christmas time, we start again with Zechariah. We start again thinking about that first baby born, the baby who would declare the way, the baby who was a new prophet in Israel when there hadn't been a prophet in a long time. I'm just going to enter the story again. There is Zechariah, an older man. He and his wife Elizabeth have passed childbearing age and have not had a child. They have learned to grapple with that but it's still hard for Elizabeth in a community where having a child is so important. Zechariah is a priest, but he's probably never been in the temple serving in the role of pouring incense on the altar. It is a very formal and beautiful ceremony. There he would be. There would be the inner holy of holies that was Uh, blocked off. Nobody could get into it except the priest who was on duty, the priest who would serve God in that holy of holy space, the space where God was. He would be responsible for putting fresh incense on the hot altar top. It would be illuminated only with candles. He might have been nervous This is a big thing. You have to uh, play your part in the ritual and ceremony. Somebody would label up the incense and put it on the pan. Somebody else would have cleared the ashes off the incense table and and it would be awaiting this fresh supply. And you would walk up to it. And as he walks into the Holy of Holies, although we have just cleared the ashes, it would still be so fragrant with the smell of the incense. The incense that they would have used would have come from all sorts of places, but frankincense and myrrh as well. And this is a resin. You poke the tree and the sap comes out and it hardens and crystallizes and it burns thick. The smoke is thick. And it gets in your eyes and in your nose and in your throat. Have you ever walked into a room that is just so pungent? It just sort of takes your breath away. It can be disorienting as your brain thinks about where you are. It's otherworldly. You are transported somewhere else. And in this room, alone with God, the angel appears to Zechariah and says, you will, Elizabeth will have a son, and you will name him John, and he will be a prophet in Israel. As I said before, we don't know what he does with that incense that he's holding. Does it pour in front of him with his mouth open like, what just happened? Does he manage to put it on the altar where it burns and the smoke would be even thicker than before? A great waft, when that incense hits that hot, hot, um, uh, altar top, the, the, it, it goes quickly. It just burns into this great shower of smoke. No Hollywood fog machine 
could do it justice. And when we watch the Hollywood fog machines that give us that, ooh, we can't smell it. It doesn't get into our eyes. It doesn't burn. We can't feel the smoke cascading across our skin. Our hands don't shake, for we are serving the holy of holies, and the angel has stepped up. Zechariah, though the angel has come to him, he struggles with disbelief. He struggles with the gap between, oh my gosh, there's an angel right there talking to me in the Holy of Holies, and I can't actually see because the smoke is in my eyes, and the words that say, hey, Zechariah, guess what? The impossible has happened for you, like it happened for so many before. The impossible has happened. You are going to be a father. You have been entrusted with a child so unique. And he will be a prophet of the Most High. And he, in his disbelief, he cannot speak. To utter words of disbelief in that moment, to go out to the crowd and say, oh, you wouldn't, oh, I'd tell you, but, you know, I can't believe it. That discounting breaks down the hope and the power of what has happened. He can't verbalize it. He can't get from here to here. And he gets caught in the expectant yes, because that baby is coming. For women, when they carry a child, there's so much more real about it for us, right? Something in there is kicking. For men, it's like this mystery space, right? You can put your hand on that belly and feel that baby in there, but still weird. And it's kind of a good example of that space when things are gestating within us, growing within us, when we're being transformed within. It can be hard to know exactly what's going on in there. And the Lord gives Zechariah time to process. I always joke that women aren't nine months pregnant all at once. You get eight months to get used to the idea. And the same for men, right? We get time, blessed, beautiful time. Mary, as well, has the awaited expectation of yes. In all the paintings in the Middle Ages and the early paintings, you see Mary alone when the angel comes. She's in a kitchen. She's in a library. She's in her bedroom. She's in a prayer room. All these depictions. We put a lot on Mary because we have a lot of expectations about God. And we want Mary to conform to what we think God is like. And so we imagine this lonely, sainted young woman alone being divine-ish. And the angel shows up to her because she is so very worthy and so very pure and so very perfect. But probably there were other people in the room If you lived in Judea, you lived in a compound with your family, with your cousins, with your aunts and uncles. 
the, there were family houses next to family houses and things were in and every, the women together would be in the women's quarter making bread and weaving and doing all those things. Everybody slept together in a big lump. There's no alone time. Introverts, Western introverts would go crazy in Judea. I think you'd have to like volunteer to be the shepherd. I'll go out and watch the sheep. Probably when the angel showed up to Mary, there were at least a couple of cousins in the room squabbling about raisin cake. Probably little ones, because the little ones go everywhere. You don't lock doors, because you're not supposed to be doing anything that needs a locked door. Everything is open, because we're all behaving honorably. Even if the there's a women's side and a men's side. The children will go everywhere. Nevertheless, Mary is transported into a solitary place. We are not told there are other things. Have you ever had a moment that takes you out and you clue back in again? Have you ever had that experience in your body? where something marvelous occurs or you see something perfectly. You're in a store and you see this beautiful work of art, maybe an orb with a beautiful glass tree at the center and a tiny little red bird that the artist has wanted you to notice and look at. And it's so perfect in there with the tiny little detail of the feathers. And then you realize, oh yeah, that's right, I'm in a store. I'm being weird. I'm staring at this orb. We get transported by God that happens expected. We get transported into this world that is beyond time, which means that this moment for Mary happened thousands of years ago, and it is happening right now. The miracle of God reaching through all that we know and all that we understand and all that we try to contain in order to get to us to our hearts, exactly where we are. Not because we are perfect and we deserve it, but because we are loved. God chooses Mary out of love in the same way that God chooses Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Mary says yes. And we know that Mary is filled with utter joy in her yes because the first thing she does is she runs over to Elizabeth's house to share the news. For the angel has not only told her that what is impossible is possible with God, but he's mentioned Elizabeth. And off she goes. And here's the other thing. Once again, we think of this silo. Elizabeth is all siloed, alone in her house. Not. It would be a busy place too. And Mary, who is probably 14, 15, and Elizabeth, who is a grandmother, Mary would have grown up with Elizabeth as a treasured auntie. Mary, just because she didn't have children her own, didn't mean that she wasn't fully, 100% a vibrant, mothering presence in the household. She would have rocked and cared for so many babies, including Mary. So this wonderful relationship already existed. God is pulling love and relationship and love and relationship together and weaving them together. 
That is why we call grace gift. When we are graced, we are given gifts. It's not something we earn. It's not something we signed up for. That's the, that's the hard part. Whatever you didn't sign up for, God's going to bring it your way. Just warning you ahead of time. No way Mary expected this. She, she, she's, there's no reason to think here that Mary isn't a regular girl in a regular home setting. But that means that she was regular, not rich, not a princess, none of those things. Which means that she was probably poor because in those days there were the very rich and the very powerful and pretty much everybody else. The everybody else had access to water supplies. But in Mary's day, in the day of this writing, there were big villas going up. And ancestral land was being taken away. And there was a real threat that one would not be able to care for their kids. During the time of the Bible, there was almost always the threat of war. The crazy part is, a lot of the times, it's the bad news that gets recorded in our Bible. We talk about it as the good news because it won't look away. It, it, God doesn't look away from the bad parts of life. And then we, as humans, we wrestle with it. After World War II, after the Shoah, after there was so much uh, horror revealed about what Hitler was doing and had done, we had tremendous theological generativity. Boy, those are big words. People couldn't get it out of their heads. People struggled with what on earth does it mean? How could God allow this? How could this happen? Writings and writings and writings poured out of people. Some of our big theologians of today came out of the World War II question of how can that happen? The Bible is like that for us. It comes out of crises where things that shouldn't be happening are happening and God shows up and that's the good news. God shows up. God doesn't say, oh yeah, well, that's just how it's supposed to be. No way. God gives us Isaiah and Malachi and Amos and please don't read any of them without a strong cup of coffee <laughs> because they're hard to read because human beings are so broken. And the good news is Gabriel shows up even though we're trembling in the Holy of Holies trying so hard to do the right thing by God so that we can lead an honest and loving life. That we are the girl in the room full of small children squabbling over stolen raisin cakes. We are that girl. We are Joseph. Can you imagine? He gets written out a lot. Dear Joseph, I had a strange experience at home the other day. God chose Mary to be the mother, and God chose Joseph to be the dad. Remember that. This man stepped up. Despite all of the cultural garbage, that is the good news. 
Mary said yes, and so did Joseph. I happen to love Joseph. I had, men have a unique struggle with public honor in this time and then. And it can be very dishonoring if your girlfriend gets pregnant. What are you gonna do about that? It's weird. It's a hard thing even to talk about in church, right? It's like right out of the soap operas. And we never think of it as attached to God. We never think about where is God in this? In the most broken places of our lives, I promise you God is there. Seek God there. And find a way to say yes. Find a way to believe that the impossible is possible. I'm gonna end by reading the Magnificat. We just read it, Lois, so beautifully, just read this lovely poem. This is one of the most famous poems in the English language. Because Mary, who is just a girl, who deserves nothing for her own sake, but everything because she is loved and everything because she is part of God's good, beautiful, holy community. Mary, who has seen even as small a life as she has had, that things are really unfair right now. That God has come to her. She says, with all my heart I glorify the Lord. And she is talking to Elizabeth. Can you imagine them holding hands and spinning around the salvation that they have been saved from some of the wounds and the heartache. They have entered directly into the good news of God. With all the depths of who I am, I rejoice in the God who has saved me. He has looked with love on the low class of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. Unholy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors God. He has shown the strength of his arm and scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his love and kindness, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and Abraham's servants forever. Mary is fully part of God's wondrous creation. A creation where we are called always to choose love over hurt, to choose care over loneliness, to believe in the impossible, and to say yes to God. Amen. Let's take a minute just to reflect and breathe. Imagine what is impossible in one hand and what is hope in the other. Notice the gap between them. And living your life, draw them together. Little by little, allow yourself to be transformed in Christ. For you are holy.
Amen.